Hello and welcome to the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. On this Best Deal episode, we will explore the human side of real estate investing with a seasoned pro about to make the legendary best deal of their life. A deal isn't just the investment, it is also the person executing it. Stay with us and learn what it takes to be the best investor possible. Hi and welcome to the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Royal-Smith. I'm the owner of Royal Legal Solutions, your one-stop shop for everything real estate, asset protection, business, and tax. I am here with a good friend of mine, Jeremy Roll. He is an amazing investor. I'm doing stuff that other people seem to think is kind of boring, but I personally think it's one of the most exciting things that you can do to actually accomplish financial freedom. And today he's going to be sharing with us his best deals and uh, thank you, Jeremy, for coming on the show. Um, if you want to set the stage for us a little bit for, you know, what do the listeners need to know about, uh, you know, you, Jeremy, and, and what your life is like and who you are and getting into some of these best deals, that'd be great. Sure. Yeah. Thanks again for having me. I really appreciate you having me on. I also want to thank you for taking the time to create all the podcasts. It's, I know it's a lot of work and, you know, I'm just very thankful for your podcast and others where you guys are taking a lot of time and putting a lot of work into uh, creating all this amazing educational content. And I uh, just want to say thank you on behalf of the listeners, too. So um, so I'll give you my, my quick background, hopefully. Um, so I'm originally from Montreal, Canada. Um, basically, I uh, came down to the U.S., got an MBA over at the Wharton School in Philadelphia. And, uh, you know, I have over 10 years of, had over 10 years of experience in the corporate world. I was kind of like on uh, probably a lot of your listeners in the corporate world, kind of middle-level manager on a typical track that an MBA would be on. And... Um, what happened with me back in 2002, uh, from an investing perspective, is um, after the dot-com crash, for those of you who remember that back in 2001, I was personally sick and tired of the stock market for two reasons. Um, one is because, uh, one is more obvious than the other. One was the volatility. So I, I'm a really kind of low-risk, slow and steady guy. So for the market to go up and down 30% a year, which is not for me, it wasn't the right fit for me. But more importantly, really, and what bothered me even more and was less obvious, is actually the lack of predictability. So at the time, you know, without knowing where my retirement account would be in a year, five years, 10 years, 30 years, that lack of predictability of the stock market itself, plus the volatility, really bothered me as a retirement strategy. So what I did was I started rotating my money out of stocks and bonds into cash flow starting in 2002. And I was dipping my toes into uh, these larger kind of more uh, what they call syndication or managed opportunities where they're pulling a lot of investors together. And I, you know, I'm a small piece of a bigger deal. And um, I started to try those out in 2002. Long story short is I ended up rotating all my money out of stocks and bonds into cash flow. And the reason why I went into cash flow and into the syndication focus is because what I realized in trying to figure out how to get away from the real estate market was that I was looking for more predictability. And I thought that cash flow was the right solution for me with a relatively low risk focus. So the concept of like, I want to get into an opportunity where I go to sleep tonight, wake up tomorrow, and not much has changed. Um, that predictability to me was much more appealing, right? So picture a 200-unit apartment building in a high-demand area that's 100% occupied. You go to sleep tonight, wake up tomorrow, aside from some type of 1% risk, like horrible weather, fire, those types of things, you know, maybe a tenant will move out, maybe not, but, you know, you've got such diversification and hopefully you've got a good manager running it that the cash flow is going to be somewhat predictable, never perfectly predictable, obviously, um, but as predictable as possible. So that actually was really appealing to me about getting into um, the real estate focus and into being into more diversified tenant-based type opportunities. And certainly being passive at the time was a huge benefit to me because I was working actually at Disney headquarters here in Los Angeles. 
and I was, I was crazy busy in my job. Um, and there was no way I was going to be able to do something actively at the time. I just did not have the bandwidth. So that's why I went down the passive path that ended up being a really good fit for me. So long story short is that in 2007, five years later, I had rotated all my money at stocks and bonds into cash flow. And frankly, I actually didn't intend to leave the corporate world. I actually was working at Toyota headquarters here in Los Angeles at the time. And I loved having the paycheck and the cash flow. Um, but um, I had a last strong moment with my manager and I actually decided to take a risk because I actually had enough cash flow built up to live off of at that point. Um, and I decided to take a risk, leave the corporate world. And so I've been what I call a full-time passive cash flow investor since 2007, so about 11 and a half years. Uh, been a, but I've been a passive cash flow investor since 2002, which is now I think about 17 years. Um, and so that's kind of my day-to-day -day focus. I do it full-time. And I basically am just a huge fan of diversification. I'm in over 70 opportunities. I've been in over 100 over time. And I invest across many different asset classes, uh, almost any asset class you can think of in commercial real estate, except for hotels. I also do single family investing. I have some ATM investments. I've, I dabbled in cash flow uh, from website type investments. I have some oil and gas investments. Uh, and then I have a, a few startups, but those are really rare for me. 99% of my focus is on more predictable cash flow. And my goal at this point is to continue to increase my, I call it grow my snowball so that my cash flow gets bigger and bigger so I never have to go to the corporate world. That's really been my focus since 2007. Um, and so that's the quick, that's my quick summary and quick background. Um, did you want me to get into yeah. my best deal yet? Yeah. I mean, Jeremy, that's such a great story, you know, because it's, it's like, how did you ended up leaving to be able to leave your nine to five job is really coming down to the fact of saying like, well, I just took my investments and then turned them into the cash flow, something that could be like easy and predictable. Um, and that's like probably like the lowest risk way you can enter into a new business, huh? Well, I would say that, um, look, there's risk to going into any deal. Obviously there's never zero risk. You can't get rid of a lot of the risks, but uh, what I would say is that what really is amazing to me, um, and I know there are some people listening to this that probably are in this camp where, you know, people are kind of marketed to go into the stock market with the retirement accounts, et cetera. It's like the path of least resistance and the path of highest commonality. And what's amazing to me is that, you know, I can generate easily average 10% cash flow per year on my uh, total equity or net worth. And you can, and then you can reinvest that, you can live off of that, you can spend it. But there isn't a cash flow philosophy on the stock market side. Yes, you can invest in dividend paying stocks, but often they're much lower rate. Uh, the tax, um, the, the tax uh, structure and laws behind investing in real estate is a lot more favorable than typically investing in stocks is obviously exceptions. And so you get a ton of tax benefits. And long story short, it, the returns are, in my opinion, the average long term return of the stock market is much lower than the average long term return that I'm probably going to be able to generate over many decades. And so, it, but the cash flow piece, it just amazes me that there aren't more people aware of cash flow. And cash flow has just completely changed my life. So, you know, it got me out of the corporate world and give me a lot of freedom. And so, long story short, is that I don't want to sound like an infomercial, but that's really what amazes me the most is the lack of awareness that most people have that these opportunities even exist and what cash flow can do for you just versus being in the stock market, for example. Can you tell us a little bit about um, what it is that helped you dawn on the idea of, of cash flow? Was it somebody that you had that mentored you into the thinking that way? Or is that because like you just started reading a bunch of books and then you said, okay, well, I'm just going to look at all the different return rates, have risk profiles for every different type of asset class. And then I just decided, and then from my research, I, I fell in that. I mean, I arrived at the conclusion that I needed to do real estate and do it in this particular kind of way. Like, how does that happen? You know, for yeah, great question. So 
I remember really well, actually, you got brought back a very distinct visual. I was, you know, uh, living in LA, 2001, I went to, I actually spent a, a lot of nights sitting in Barnes and Noble, which, uh, you know, there are none here anymore, pretty much. I mean, there might be one or two. And I would grab a ton of the investing books, all different types, um, and just read about different types of investments. And uh, the more I read about them, the more I realized the cash flow piece was interesting to me. But what really put me over the edge of what you're really asking is I was really lucky because I had lifelong friends in my family um, that I lived a couple blocks away from and grew up playing, you know, playing with them a couple times a week outside, everything. Um, they had been syndicating commercial real estate opportunities for like decades at the point, that point. And I had called up um, one of the sons that I was very good friends with and just asked him how his opportunities worked and what he was doing. And I had the opportunity to actually start learning and testing the waters with something I, I knew I can trust. Um, so that's obviously unique. Um, and that's really what put me over it. Those are actually the first investments I made were with them. And I got to learn probably a lot more than a normal investor would because of that relationship. And then I started to, to look for other opportunities across other syndicators and even other asset classes. Once I really started to learn with, you know, it took me a couple of years to really start to learn it properly. Um, so that's my story. But honestly, the initial trigger was me just going to the bookstore, which I realized is kind of hard to do these days looking at the investing section, just pulling up all random books and just reading different investment ideas and everything. That is as simple as that. If you were having like somebody else that was going to be new into investing now, and I know like, let's just take like not real estate investment off the table, but let's just say that like it's equal, it's on par with every other type of investing that's out there. How would you say that somebody would approach like what type of investing they should be looking for you know, at any given slice of moment in time, given the fact that like, you know, let's say that you, cause you know, it could be really different, right? Five years from now, a lot of the tax laws could change. And then you might be thinking like, well, maybe real estate investing really isn't that strong anymore. Cause given the market and the tax laws, you know, really I should be rethinking about like what types of investments I should get into, you know, what would you recommend for that person or even for yourself, you know, given that you would have some type of disruption and you'd say like, well, I need to reassess uh, where I should, where I should be looking for cash flow type investments. Yeah, great question. So what I would say is that, you know, and there's like a thousand different ways to invest. So this is just my personal perspective. And I should tell everybody, I'm not a financial advisor. So anything I'm sharing is just my perspective as an investor. But essentially, um, cash flow investing is the opposite of a get rich quick scheme. And therefore, it's a very long term view. And so when I go into an opportunity today and I make an investment, I actually don't really care very much if the tax laws change. And why, why is that the case? Because if the tax laws that are more favorable for me than they are for other types of investments today change and they become on par with other types of opportunities, which is probably the worst case scenario. Like it's it's probably not going to be negative tax law consequences, but more just level the playing field. Um, Then I am still completely happy with the cash flows coming in. To me, I view the tax laws as just icing on the cake. And I frankly don't, I actually don't go in investing depending on them being the same in a few years. I am just completely 100% 100% in and convinced it's the right fit for me to be in a cash flow focus, but I also have a very long-term focus. So when I make an investment, I expect my money to be locked up for five years, 10 years, could be longer depending on the opportunity. But you actually, as a, as a really hardcore cash investor, the whole philosophy is that you'd rather be able to sustain an opportunity that is going well and that's generating consistent cash flow than have to exit from it and figure out where to redeploy your capital to get cash flow again. So it's almost disappointing when something sells, depending on the scenario. You know, obviously, if you're locking in a big game, that's a different story. But so um, what I would say is that um, if you're going to get into this type of investing, it's very liquid. 
Um, a lot of people don't know this, but um, there's, there's anti-flipping laws or reselling laws. So you can't, e you can't even resell your shares in this type of LLC interest for uh, at least a year. And that's an SEC law, by the way. Um, and then after that, it's very hard to sell your shares. Um, it's hard to find, you know, it's a private buyer. You don't know what the exact value of the asset is. You're not probably going to pay thousands of dollars for an appraisal at the time to actually sort that out. So it's hard to sell. You may not get the price you want. So the whole philosophy is that you want to park the money and have it generating cash flow for years. So if you're not quite in that mindset, where you're not sure that you don't want, you're okay with a lack of liquidity for years, um, then I strongly recommend you consider other options. But if you're thinking really long-term, you know, kind of building your cash flow snowball, so to speak, and you're more concerned about the predictability of the cash flow as opposed to the tax laws, then this is a really good fit. And that's really where I land. So I hope that makes sense. Yeah, I think that does make sense um, in terms of, you know, what do you want to do for, for this type of investing? Um, what is it? Is this type of investing something that appeals to you um, as a as a knowing your personality, it's just being like pretty risk averse and like really into like delayed gratification, like long-term. Is that what kind of pulls like the personality that fits this type of investment model? Cause you know, probably the person that um, is really interested in long-term syndication deals that are really cash flow based, it's probably not the people that are flipping houses. Right. Yeah. But, I a hundred percent agree with you. And uh, I just happen to be the mindset that I have like a 10, 20 year vision. And I'm just very patient with it. Um, and I will say that if you're out there and you're really interested in this type of investing and you want to get out of the corporate world, um, this isn't something that you can actually accomplish overnight or even in a year if you're going to do it properly. So, for example, if you're in the corporate world and you have a million-dollar stock portfolio and you're saying, look, I want to generate 10% off of that, I want to generate 100000 a year, and I can live off 100000 a year, that works for me. What I would tell you is, okay, that's great, but A, you've got to learn all about these types of opportunities to make sure you're getting the right one. B, you've got to deploy the capital and you've got to be diversified. And I like to say that I like to be diversified across um, asset classes, geographies, and operators. So you want to get diversified across all three. Uh, well, you know, it doesn't matter you have a million dollars today. It's going to take you probably one, two, three, four years to learn properly to the point where you really know what you're doing and deploy all the capital. And the timing as we're recording this is kind of challenging because I think we're kind of at peak pricing um, with, you know, uh, in other words, we're at the end of the cycle. And so you may not even want to start for research if you want to be really careful. So this is, you're exactly right. You've got to have a very long-term mindset to make this work. Um, but it's one of those situations where you're sacrificing the short-term for the benefit of the long-term, right? So I've been investing for 17 years and I've gotten into a pretty good position. I actually am looking forward to being in a better position in 10 years or 15 years from now, to be totally honest with you. Um, but it's a long-term mindset that makes this appropriate for somebody. I also happen to be at very low risk, right? So you, can, you can actually invest passively across the entire risk spectrum. You can go into only develop, ground up development, right? Kind of higher risk spectrum on real estate. And then you can go into one, only 100% occupied, you know, high demand buildings that have, you know, many tenants, kind of lower risk spectrum. I tend to fall much more towards lower risk. You know, I'll invest in 80 to 100% occupied buildings type thing. But for me, it's because I'm looking for that predictability. And so um, to your point, You've got to really line up the right to be the right personality, but you don't necessarily need to be a lower risk guy like me, which is why this fits really well for me in that focus. You could be a medium risk person and invest in more value add opportunities that have some cash flow, but also trying to add value at the same time. So you can go across the entire risk spectrum. It's more the idea that um, you're okay being illiquid, you're okay having your money locked up for a while, and um, you like the concept of, of real estate because it can be development, it could be cash flow. 
Um, does that make sense? Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, I was wondering if we have, you know, look, I think we have a few more minutes left here. I was wondering about um, if you want to share with us, like what you would consider to be like, you know, a couple of examples of like best deals uh, for you. So I can really underscore of saying like, you know, this is what a best deal looks like to me. And like, here's why, given the way that I think about investing. Yeah, sure. So I'll give you one example that I think will make a lot of sense. So um, I invested in a two park mobile home park portfolio um, in Alabama about a year and a half ago, roughly. And, um, you know, I think that everything is overpriced right now. I'm very, very low risk. And so any asset class to me is overpriced. So for me to consider anything at what I call mark, true market rates or market values just doesn't make sense for me. And I'm kind of sitting on the sidelines waiting for a downturn to take advantage of better pricing. But in the meantime, if I find what I call like the, you know, the unique situation, I'll definitely go into it. And so this is kind of one that I thought was unique. So first unique aspect, it was off market. Um, second unique aspect is that, you know, to the best of my ability in terms of analyzing it, it was probably about 10 to 12% below market value. That's how you attract my attention right now. And the reason is because if I'm going to invest in something and it's mostly occupied, we're not adding a lot of value, which means we're not adding a lot of padding or cushion should there be a downturn, right? So the trade-off is that I've got to buy it really right. And so by buying it at 10 to 12% below market value, we're adding that, that cushion in right from the start. That's helping to reduce long-term risk already, which is fantastic. Second thing that was fantastic for me is that this thing cash flowed very heavily out the gate. So um, as real numbers, you know, the first quarterly checks that I got after we closed on the opportunity, um, it was a 12% annualized cash flow. Normally, my target is around 9 to 10% for year one, and it kind of goes up a little thereafter. And so this was very high cash flow in what is a very challenging environment to find cash flow above 6 7 8% in year one, period. Um, and so it was also, I think it was like 95 to 97% occupied, flat value add to like, you know, to kind of fill up those vacant lots that were still remaining. Um, and it was in a really strong economic area within Alabama, um, where it was a very unique area, actually, where there were a very strong tourist area right near the, the coast. And a lot of people living in this adjacent area were kind of lower income people who have a lot of those jobs. And so it was a really good local economy. Um, and that's kind of strong all year round. And so, you know, you've got a good local economy that, that seems to have a good long-term outlook. Um, you've got much better than market pricing. Um, you've got very high cash flows at the gate. You've got very high occupancy. And probably the most important thing I didn't mention, and possibly the most important thing in general, is that the operator themselves, which is, I'm always making a bet on a person because I invest passively. And in my opinion, the number one most important focus is who you're making a bet on. The number two most important focus is the actual property itself in that order. Now, the property is extremely important, but the operator to me is even more important because you got to make a bet on the right people to have successful execution and outcome. And so I was um, making a bet on people who owned over a billion dollars of apartments, had hired someone from the second largest mobile home park operator to start a mobile home park acquisition vertical, and they'd already acquired multiple properties. I was able to look at that track record and know that I was making a bet on someone very experienced in an organization that was very large and very experienced, which actually, because they were so large, we have unusual um, uh, insurance coverage for loss of income. Should there be a really bad weather event, we're covered for about a year and a half, uh, literally for replacement income uh, for cash flow while you rebuild the park. So there's a lot of really positive things. So, um, so you know, for me, low-risk person looking for high cash flow, looking to buy things right in this very challenging environment, um, really liking mobile home parks because the turnover rates are very, very low in general, very high occupancy, kind of long-term, really good long-term prospects for the economy. That was a really good fit for me in this type of situation, this part of the cycle.
Um, does that make sense? Yeah, I think it absolutely makes sense. You know, like I, I like the way that you're taking through like a multivariant kind of approach. It looks like with um, all the different aspects of how like they stack one on top of the other to make you feel more and more secure. You know, it's not just like a feeling of like, oh, well, they seem good. It's like, no, no, no. Like you want to know like how are they, what are the, what are their plans if things go sideways and do I feel comfortable with that? And then does that make sense to go with somebody that's like bigger that has that kind of downside risk versus somebody who's really small that might be like, you know, trying to tell me they can get me a 20% return or 25% return or something like that. Yeah, and to your point, actually, the projections were extremely conservative, which is something I always look for, which I love. You know, it was very obvious that the operator was trying to, like, under-promise and potentially over-deliver on the projections, which they already have. We've already cash flowed higher than the year one projections right out the gate. Um, and I'm not surprised because I really get into analyzing the spreadsheets to understand all the assumptions and all the revenue and expense expectations, and I expected it to, to overperform based on the way that they projected it out, and it has. Um, and so that's another piece of the puzzle. Um, and there's other things too to consider, obviously, but hopefully high level that gives a good picture to everyone who's listening. Yeah, that's really awesome, Jeremy. Um, I, I think that, that that story really underscores an, the, the key example of what it is that you're doing and, and what uh, the way that you're viewing the investments. Um, with that, I think we have a, a little bit more time. Is there another uh, deal that you want to walk us through? Yeah, that's a good question. Let me think about this. Um, let's see. Um, Okay, I'll give you another example. Um, it's going to sound like a similar story, but and you'll see what is kind of the common trend is that if I can find unique pricing as we were further along into the cycle, that's adding padding in. That's a really good situation for me. So um, I actually have invested now in four different deals with a top 30 self-storage operator in the U.S. And um, I actually have an investor group, and I kind of was able to negotiate some pricing on behalf of the group for this particular these opportunities. So. Um, the operator normally invests in value add stuff, but is very good at managing stuff once it's stabilized as well. And so um, we were able to go in and actually buy um, off market um, from one of their investors who own these properties, um, these four, uh, three of the four properties. Um, and I was able to negotiate, like I would say again, about 10% better than market pricing um, in these scenarios. And uh, it was, purely based on trust. Uh, believe it or not, we actually bought these three properties from a top 40 wealthiest person in the U.S. Um, you know, it, it wasn't Bill Gates, for example, but one of those people. And um, I actually had to go in and negotiate with their family office and um, built a really good relationship with them, um, was vouched for by the operator. And because we were going to make it really easy for them, there were no broker fees involved. Um, they knew we'd be able to perform and buy it. We ended up getting really unique pricing. And because of that, so this was back in 2015. Now, I was already weary of pricing in self-storage at that time because it was starting to get expensive in my opinion, and just like everything else was. So getting that padding up front was really, really key. Um, and I'm not, I'll actually give you some real numbers. We bought them at between 7.8 and 8.5 cap rates. These are class eight facilities in Florida. Uh, at the time, the market rates were probably about six and a half cap rates to seven cap rates if you were lucky seven and a half but i we had a very big spread in pricing and long story short is we bought things so well that we actually turned around in 2018 and 17 and resold those facilities um, because the cap rates went down to five and a half to six caps we, we sold them all at five and a half to six caps just two three years later now, the only reason why that was even achievable is because we bought them right so again this goes back to like being very picky buying things right and of course, having a great operator who executed really well, 
Um, they very, very strong execution on increasing pricing and occupancy. And um, we ended up with returns. You know, we go, go into these deals figuring we're looking for the cash flow. Those were cash flowing, I think, double digits right away, if I recall correctly. And that's, that's great. And that's what we're hoping to get for 10 years. Well, these were 10-year deals that we exited unexpectedly in two, three years. And um, we ended up locking in probably average annualized returns in the upper 20s you know, call it 26 to 30% per property. And the other reason why that was achieved is because we were really, really picky and careful on how we bought them. So again, created padding right from the start, got into a really strong asset class in the right locations with the right operator with conservative assumptions and um, ended up outperforming and doing really well. Um, so it's a very similar story, just in another asset class. Um, and, uh, but I think that buying it right is even more important now than it was then. Um, because we still benefited from a run-up in pricing, and that's why we ended up selling them unexpectedly. Um, but you can't count on that anymore. So now it's even more imperative you buy things right in anticipation of a downturn and a correction in pricing, because that's how the cycles work. Um, and so you've got to be extra careful about that right now. Wow, what a good advice there, Jeremy. Thanks so much for sharing the stories um, with us here today. One of the things I, I like to do when we wrap up each episode is just do like a quick, you know, lesson learned um, from from each episode. And really the thing that's going to ring true with me and something I'm going to take away with me after hearing this today is just like to expect the downturn and price things appropriately. You know, like to know to know what's going to happen and then just go ahead and build that into your model um, for the assumptions that you're going to make of what's going to make sense for you, you know, getting into that deal. And for, for the listeners here today, you know, if you wanted to leave them with one takeaway message, um, it's like a lesson learned from your talk here today, what would that be? Yeah, I would say that, um, be very careful right now. Um, pricing is very high. Uh, real estate is cyclical, right? It goes up and it goes down. You've got to be very cognizant of where we are in the cycle. And if you're a new investor and you don't understand the cycle, Take a step back, learn about it first before you just go into what looks like some attractive numbers without understanding where in that cycle you're investing. Because I like to tell people, you could have invested with the worst operator in the worst property in 2010 and be in a really good position today, even if it wasn't run well, just because of the timing. And frankly, you could have invested with the, in the best property with the best operator in 2007 and have been in a horrible position in 2015 just because of the timing and not because they didn't operate. They could have executed perfectly and still be in the worst position. So timing is key in real estate. And right now the timing is very challenging. So if you didn't know that and you're listening to this, spend a lot of time researching it to understand it better. Um, and if you do know that, then just be really extra careful. Uh, and actually, you know, it's ironic. As we, as we speak, the stock market, when I checked when we started, the stock market was down 730 points today. And the reason why it was down that much is because it's an anticipation of a slowing economy and a potential downturn. So there you go. There you go, folks. And Jeremy, for anybody that wants to connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Sure. Uh, best way is definitely through email. My email is jroll at rollinvestments.com. So jroll, J-R-O-L-L at roll, which is R-O-L-L, investment, plural, um, dot com. And um, I, please feel free to contact me. I'm happy to help people who are new. I'm very happy to network with experienced people. I was looking to trade opportunities, network with as many people as possible, but I'm honestly happy to help any way that I can. So don't, don't hesitate to reach out to me. Awesome, Jeremy. Uh, well, you're a wealth of information, man. I appreciate you coming on the show um, and joining us. And um, thank you guys for joining us here today. Of course, I'm your host, Scott Royal Smith. This is the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. Thank you guys. And we will see you again soon. 
That's all for this Best Deal episode, and I'm your host, Scott Royal-Smith, with the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. When investments go good, they can go great. Your legendary best deal could be your next one, so keep at it. Thank you for joining us, and if you enjoyed the show, leave a review to help clue in those sleeping masses for what they need to know and what we all need reminders of. Do your good deed for the day, and I'll see you again soon.